morning, everyone. It's hard not to make a comment how I did this. But she said if I didn't behave, she'll give the other leg a whack. That's not true, obviously. It's not far from the truth, but it's not true. You know how the pastors are doing this training exercise on a Monday and Thursday afternoon? Last Monday afternoon, we were doing a circuit. There were six of us there, I think. And on about the third station, something in my foot went snap. Or it felt like a pop. You know, a... I don't know if I heard it, if I actually just felt it, and, you know, it was immediate pain. And then the pain sort of dissipated, but I couldn't put any weight on my foot. And then the coach we had, he trainer we had, he said, uh, well, let's stretch it. And so I kept then, instead of running, I was walking and, and all that was good. But as it turns out now, what I should have done is completely stopped. Anyway, so I've been to the doctor twice. I've been had an x-rays. I've had an ultrasound. We don't know what it is. We think it's the deltoid ligaments. And we only think it's the ligament because they can't find it. So they're assuming that the deltoid ligament has been torn. And, and so the doctor said, complete rest, foot up. That's been the worst part and also the best part of the week. Cup of tea, please. <laughs> it's also the worst part, because as soon as I get up to go do anything, what are you doing? Where are you going? What's going on? <laughs> I'll get it. Sit down. <laughs> So please pray for me, for patience. I'm sure that's what God is developing in me. So on Tuesday I go to see a podiatrist and on Thursday I go see some sports specialist. Mark Lowe put me onto somebody who know about these things. My GP doesn't know about it and she's honest enough to go, I don't really know what it is. So she was searching Dr Google. Many doctors do, of course, and so she was very good, and typical doctor, you know, they won't say exactly what it is, and they don't make silly promises. And... But anyway, on there is a possibility that uh, I'll have to have strapped or braced or something. My only concern is, or my main concern is, that we've booked tickets already to go to London in September. So if I'm going to have an operation, which I don't think I will be, but if I'm going to have an operation, then I doubt if I'll be recovered by then. So then we'd have to delay it. And we thought, oh, well, we could make it Christmas, make it a white Christmas in London. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? So Rhonda went down to the travel agent. We have insurance and all that stuff. And just even to delay it one week, $900. So the Lord is going to heal me before we go. <laughs> Who knows? But when we get to London, England, whatever, the whole idea is that we do a fair bit of walking. So... You will be. <laughs> we'll wait and see. So that's where I'm with this, and that's why I'm sitting down. It's quite biblical, of course, to sit down and to teach the scriptures. That's what Jesus does in Luke chapter 4. He read the scriptures, and then he sat down, the Bible says, and taught them from the scriptures. So it's quite unusual, though, because the natural thing is to want to get up and move. So let's wait and see if I don't do that. Second thing to point out, I had a phone call this morning, uh, not this morning, the other day from a lady called Kerry Smith. Uh, Jeff Keevis here this morning, Daniel is. Kerry's dad's sister? Byron. 
is. Anyway, uh, Kerry and Byron, they used to be the boys, uh, boys Brigade captains, uh, oh, I don't know, 10 years ago, and uh, then moved towards the Gold Coast and uh, used to attend here. Well, Kerry, this week to say that uh, Byron's mum, Gwyn, whom some of you may know, remember, uh, has passed away. I think she said she was 84. I, I'm not confident of that. I might have misheard that. She might be a bit older than that. But the funeral anyway is this Thursday. Um, and it's at the Nursery Road Crematorium, 10am Thursday. For those of you who know the family or Gwyn and would like to be attending that. This morning we're going to be talking about relationships. We've been in a series on um, God transforming us. And we've spoken about God transforming us uh, spiritually, <laughs> physically, um, God transforming us uh, emotionally, God transforming us mentally, and this morning it is God wants to transform us also relationally. Uh, God is a God who cares about us. I want to pray before I go too far into this. But he also wants to see us transform in our attitude towards money, so he wants to transform us financially. That's next Sunday. And then our final Sunday is God is concerned about all of life and he's concerned about us at work, in our vocation. And so God also wants to transform us in that context into our attitude and our competencies and our experience of our attitude towards work, vocationally. So the Lord is interested in every aspect of our life and there's no aspect of our life that he's not interested in. And therefore it's entirely appropriate to bring any concern, any issue to him in prayer because he's concerned about all of us. So we're going to pray, and then we'll kick on. I'll read you the scriptures. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that you are our Heavenly Father, that through Jesus you've brought us into a saving relationship, part of your family, and that as our loving Heavenly Father, you are concerned about every aspect of our lives. We thank you for your thoughts towards us, as the psalmist said, if we were to count them, there would be more than the sand on the seashore or the stars of the morning. You continually think about us. Nothing catches you by surprise. So Lord, we want to thank you for the intimacy that we can have in this close relationship with you. This morning we ask that you might motivate us and encourage us and facilitate the transformation process of us becoming more like Jesus, more like our elder brother, more like you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for each other. And we remember this morning, Lord, also our brother and sister, Kerry and Byron, the passing of Byron's mum. Be with that family. And John and Edna. It's John, to John in hospital and looking at doing the final lap in this world. Thank you that he knows and loves you, that you have a great plan and future for him in glory with you. But be with him and Edna and other members of the family. Draw near, Lord, and may he particularly be experiencing your grace and peace, comfort in Jesus. So, Lord, thanks that we can be here, and we pray now that you would be pleased to open our minds to the truths of your word we ask in Jesus name everybody said 
Let's read Romans chapter 12, um, verses 9 to 21. Romans 12 is where the Apostle Paul transitioned. He's been talking about the influence of the gospel in our life, Jesus coming into the world, and that we all need to respond and repent and God's plan of salvation through Jesus. When he comes to chapter 12, it becomes the application. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, because of what God has done for us, here are the responses that you should make. And he begins by presenting ourselves to him in our whole body. He goes on to talk about service and relationships with one another. And now from verses 9 to the end of the chapter, he amplifies that aspect of our relationships, both with one another within the church, but also with others, including those outside the church. And these are the words of God to us. These are the instructions, the commands, the directions. This is how the Lord wants us to live. And it contains very clear and very hard truth. Easy to read, easy to say, difficult to do, but essential for us to be working on these things. The scripture says, the Lord says to us, verse 9, love must be sincere, fair dinkum, real. We're to hate what is evil, not to be indifferent to it, but to hate it. We're to cling to what is good. We're to be devoted to one another in love, to honour one another above ourselves. Never lacking in zeal, but keeping our spiritual fervour, serving the Lord. We're to be joyful in hope, patient when you hurt your deltoid ligaments, Faithful in prayer. We're to share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. We're to bless those who persecute us. We're to bless and not to curse. Not to swear. We're to rejoice with those who rejoice. We're to mourn with those who mourn. To live in harmony with one another, not to be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position, not to be conceited. Not to repay, don't repay anyone evil for evil, no payback. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live in peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written... It's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Conviction. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Amen. These are God's instructions to us. They're clear, as I said, and demanding, aren't they? And I'm sure it's be quite easy for us to go through, just simply work through that passage and to go, let's pick one thing that we need to be working on right now. So I'd encourage you to do that. Also, this morning I'm going to give you something like about eight points or something like that. And it's going to talk about... Um, if we are going to be transformed by the gospel of Jesus and if we're going to be transformed in our relationships, then the, we need to be 
these sorts of people, and I'll talk about eight different characteristics, both to look for this in other people, to be good friends with those sorts of people, but to be that sort of person, ultimately. And so as we work our way through the eight, just as you listen, what I would think would be helpful is for you to be doing like a moral inventory on it, a relational inventory, uh, of saying, yep, I need to work on that one. Or, no, that one's okay, I'm quite happy with that. And even to share, if you're married, share it with your spouse, provided you're on talking terms at the moment. <laughs> and if you're not, uh, repent. Just tell her you're sorry. It's your fault. Yeah, I know it is. It's not her fault. Never is. I'll pay for that one later. Um, if you're not married, then it's share it with an accountability partner or, or a close friend or somebody. Share it with somebody else. Because there's great power when we share it with somebody else. There is a mutual accountability, a holding to account. There's a supporting. There's a reminding one another. Something is extra strengthened in the process of sharing it. Not just you deciding in your own heart and mind, yep, I need to work on that one. Actually tell somebody. Uh, if you go off to coffee this morning, which is a great thing that many people in the church do, is grab one of those guys and say, ask them, okay, which one of the eight are you going to work on this week? And see if you, depends how close you are in the group, of course. God is the one who made us. This is just the biblical foundation of this truth, I think. We are made, therefore, he made us, and he made us deliberately, intentionally, in his image. We're the only beings in all of creation who are made in his image. Angels aren't, animals aren't. There is a difference between us and animals. We are unique in the universe. We are unique because God made us to be like him in his image. And he made us male and female. He made us different. But he made us different in order that we could complement, we could mutually support and strengthen one another. In other words, he made us in his image to relate together. God is a God, a triune God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, who is an eternal relationship, community. And us being made in his image is, it's a natural part of us that we are relational beings. A person who never wants to speak to any other person, a person who wants to run away to an island to be a hermit and to live life by themselves, is demonstrating a high level of dysfunction, a high level of brokenness. Because God made us to be in community with one another, to be in relationship with others, marriage, family, friends, as well as sporting or corporate groups like churches. We are to be in relationship. So question for you this morning, are you in a relationship? Close relationships. Do you have some close friends, people that you can rely on? In 1945, there was a study done and it was still significant and it's still quoted and cited in books certainly books that I read. Back in 1945, they did a study after the war on infants who had now been orphaned and were now institutionalised. And because of the war and because of a lack of workers, there was a shortage of caretakers for the kids. They certainly provided for them physically. They provided them enough food and drink every day. They changed their nappies and their clothes and they kept them warm at night and provided shelter. All of their physical needs were provided for. But because there was a lack of caretakers, only some of the children, some of the, some of the babes, 
were actually picked up and cuddled and held and spoken to. There just wasn't enough adults to go around to be able to do it. And over the course of time, they discovered that the children that had been neglected, the children that hadn't been held, hadn't been spoken to, not only developed more illnesses than the other children, they also showed slower psychological development and in fact some of them died. Some of them quite literally turned over, went to sleep and never woke up. Provided for in every aspect of their life physically, but not provided for relationally. That one bond had that detrimental effect upon them, and it does upon us. It's horrible to be lonely. It's awful to feel that you are alone and that there is no one, not one, who cares for you, who values you. That's certainly God's will, God's intention. He wants us to be transformed relationally. John Stott, pastor who's now gone to be with the Lord, tells this story. It's an old story and I'm not sure it's unique or started with him or if he's quoting somebody else. But he tells the story of a Scottish minister um, who went to visit a parishioner one day who hadn't been in church for quite a while. Know this story? And because it's in Scotland, there was a fireplace in the lounge room where they went. And so when the minister came to the door, the man let him in. They sat in the fireplace. They sat in the fire. They sat in front of the fireplace. They sat um, in the lounge room, not talking, just sitting there. They obviously knew each other pretty well. Then, without a word being said, the minister reached for the tongs and grabbed one of the coals, which was burning and you know brightly in the fire, and just reached in and grabbed one of the coals, and just took it out of the fire and just set it to the side. I guess on the hearth. They just sat there and they watched that coal turn from being a bright glowing with flames on it to dying down, to changing colour, to cooling, to going to a grey colour and to apparently going out. They watched that and the minister grabbed the tongs and he simply picked up that now cold, lifeless piece of coal, just put it back in the fire. And they watched it warm up again and catch flame. And then without a word being spoken, the minister gets up and leaves. And the bloke was in church the following Sunday. It's a powerful analogy, isn't it? We need others. When God is in the process of transforming us, he certainly uses his word, he uses difficulties, but he also uses other people. The word of God, time and trials, and other believers, other people, God uses over a process of time to shape us, to mould us, to transform us. We can't do it by ourselves. We can't become mature in Jesus simply by taking our Bible, accepting him as Lord and Saviour, and going to our homes and never speaking to another living soul, but studying the Bible and knowing all about the Bible you will not become a fully obedient, mature disciple of Jesus. It'll be impossible. 
Because if you read the New Testament, even that one passage we read this morning, there are very specific instructions about what we are to do, to relate to others. God made us to be in relationship with others. So we're talking about that this morning, relational health. Rick Warren says, and it's probably too general, he says there are two kinds of friends that we have in our life. We have friends who are just casual friends, casual because of circumstances. Excuse me, whether that's work or church or whatever group it is that we're part of, just casual friends, acquaintances. And then secondly, he says we have close friends. We have people whom we allow and choose to be close to us, that we choose to spend time with. The reality is you can't be close friends with everybody. Of course not. You can't be close friends with everybody in the room right now. It's probably true to say you won't know everybody in the room right now. It's too many. The average person knows, in this sort of context, about 65 people. So you'll know about a quarter of the congregation. And if you know that many, you'll be doing pretty well. So my point is, we get to choose our close friends. And the wiser the choice that we make, the better the friend they'll be. Proverbs 12.26 says, The righteous choose their friends carefully. The righteous, those who follow and know God, choose their friends carefully. Proverbs 12.6 So firstly, who not to choose? Let me encourage you to read the book of Proverbs and to take lots of people. The author of Proverbs, the authors of Proverbs, tells us to avoid, to be careful of. Here is a list, just five people. Don't become close friends with lazy people. Lazy, slothful. Don't become close friends with angry people. Immoral people, greedy people, or even unbelieving people. You can associate with them, you can be acquainted with them, but don't choose them to be your closest friends. Why not? Because the people we have close to us are the people who are going to influence us. So what do we do with those people? Well, you avoid them, don't you? No, you don't. Bible commands us to love everybody. So you don't avoid them. You don't snob them. You're civil. You're gracious. But at the same time, you're guarded and careful. Read through the book of Proverbs. That seems to me exactly what Jesus did. We'll come back to that. Well then, if the book of Proverbs tells me whom not to have as a close friend, somebody is very close and an influence for me, then who should I select I don't know if you've ever thought about it. Who would be, what sort of person would be very helpful to have as a close friend, a mentor, someone who's going to have input into your life? Well, here are three S's very quickly. Choose those who will stretch you, those who will challenge you, those who will make you think. Choose people who will stretch you, help you to grow. Proverbs 13.20 says, those who walk with the wise will grow wise. You'll become like the people you'll associate with. Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one man, one person sharpens another. We influence those around us. Proverbs 27, verse 6, the words from a friend can be trusted. Pick friends, be a person who is going to be able to stretch others, someone who is godly, mature, who is committed and consistent. Secondly, choose someone who is going to support you emotionally. Choose someone who will support you. Proverbs 17, 17. 
a friend loves at all times, just like a brother is born for adversity, at all times. I often ask people who come and they have some crisis going on in their life or whatever's going on for them and I often find myself asking them, who do you have who is close to you whom you can call? Two o'clock, three o'clock, four o'clock in the morning, who could you call? And usually, not always, but usually people have someone. I could call this person. That's what you need. A friend, a close companion who is available. A friend is a person who walks in when everybody else is walking out. They stand by you through thick and thin. They don't see through you. They help you through whatever you're going through. People who will support you. Galatians 6.2 certainly talks about bearing one another's burdens. Pick people whom you can rely on who will support you emotionally. That's what you need. And then thirdly, not just people who will stretch you, not just people who will support you, but pick people, find people, be a person who you choose who will strengthen you spiritually. Not drain you, but they'll lift you up, they'll build you up, they'll encourage you. They'll spur you on to love and to good deeds, like the book of Hebrews says. So my question, do you have friends who do that? Turn it around. Do you do that to your friends? Are you that sort of a person? Everybody needs somebody like that in their life, even if it's only one. If you have two or three, you're blessed. If you have more, you are abundantly blessed to have people who are that close, that loyal, that supportive. Stretching you, supporting you, strengthening you spiritually. Proverbs 27.9 says that perfume and incense bring joy to the heart. It does, doesn't it? We all like our wives to smell pretty, don't we? Hello? (laughs) Is there anybody here who wants their wife to stink? (laughs) Nobody. Now for the harder question, ladies, we all want our husbands to smell nice, don't we? (laughs) Never a truer word was spoken. Perfume and incense bring joy to the heart. Pleasantness of a friend springs from heartfelt advice. Wow. Just like smelling your spouse as pretty, as attractive, as nice and adorable, so the words of a friend, heartfelt advice, same level of meaning and pleasantness and helpfulness. So choose people who are like that. People are going to strengthen you. People are going to support you. People who are going to stretch you. Not just people who are going to rub your back and say, you're always good, but people who hold you to account. People who will speak the truth into your life. They're the people you need around you. And if you don't have them, pray for them. And if you don't have them, then here's the eight points. How do I get this kind of friend? Simple by being that kind of a friend.
be that sort of a person. You'll attract others to you. So here are the eight points. Let's go quickly through it. Number one, be interested in other people. If you want to have friends like that, then you need to have an attitude where you are interested in other people, not just in yourself. That's the old adage, isn't it? When we look at a photo, a group photo, and we're in it, who do we look for first? Ourselves. And if we look all right and we think, that's a good photo. And if we don't look all right, that's not a good photo. That's just from our own perspective, though, of what we look like. So a good friend, people you want around you, are people who are interested in you, people who are interested in others. So that's what you need to be. Proverbs 18, verse 1. Unfriendly people care only about themselves. It's true. People who are only concerned about themselves, and you know some of them, don't turn and don't look at them right now. But we know people that they're always talking about themselves, their own needs, their own aches, their own pains, their own opinions, their own views, their own desires, their own struggles. I have a particular member in my family, and my son recently, last 12 months, when he met this other member of the family, my son's response to me was, there's something strange about that person. I said, what do you think it is? He said, they're always talking about themselves. That was right. This person has the uncanny ability. doesn't matter what you're talking about. They can turn the conversation to them. Their experience, their opinion, their view. And they're not interested in others at all. So be interested in other people. Philippians 2 verse 4. Let each of you look out not only for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. Be interested in others. Number two, is that something you need to do? If it is, put that on your list. Number two, stop being, or certainly don't be, a chronic complainer. Not simply a complainer, but a chronic complainer. Certainly to be emotionally healthy, as we spoke about a couple of weeks ago, we need to face our feelings and to express them, and to express them appropriately. I'm not talking about that. So sometimes you will need to complain. Sometimes you will need to get something off your chest, sure. But you do it appropriately. I'm talking about not being a chronic complainer. A chronic complainer is the person who is always whinging, always negative, always picky, always moaning. They're just awful to be around. So don't be like that. These people aren't happy unless they're unhappy. And you may know them, or some of them. They come alive, they get motivated when they're attacking and criticising and judging others. Their demeanour changes. They light up. They love doing that stuff. We'll be very careful of bringing them too close. Um, Philippians 2 verse 14 and following says, Do everything without complaining or arguing. There's a verse for the week. Do everything without complaining or arguing. It's a very hard verse, isn't it? That's the word of God, though. That's what the Lord says to us. Do everything without complaining or arguing. And the passage goes on to illustrate, if you're a person who doesn't complain and doesn't argue, then you're going to stand out like a bright star on a very dark night. Because it's so common in this fallen world, because everything is broken. So complaining is normal. So be different, be transformed. Number three, learn to become a good listener. Good fans certainly encourage and affirm, it's with the mouth, and good friends listen with the ear. 
We have two ears and one mouth. Good friends, listen. James 1.19, be quick to listen, slow to speak. Everybody likes a listener. There is also a place for silence, like an illustration of the minister visiting the stray. Job's friends, when they came to visit him, chapter 3, 2 or 3, for the first seven days they were silent and they were helpful. It's when they opened their mouth and they actually started trying to give advice, but it was actually judgmental, critical advice, not listening advice. Become a good listener. Number four, do you need to do that? Number four, accept people unconditionally. Do you need to do this? The Bible says, Romans 15, 7, to accept one another just as God in Christ has accepted us. To accept one another. We all need acceptance. We all need people to like us. We want people to value us. We don't want to be excluded, ignored or put down. But to be expected. And acceptance is not approval. You can accept people that you are not approving of. We're not able to be perfect people. But the reality is people probably won't change until they're in a safe relationship where they find acceptance. Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times, not a friend loves if. Or a friend loves because. A friend loves at all times. Accept people unconditionally. Number five, help people feel included or wanted, bouncing off that one also. Help them feel significant. The passage says, Romans 12, 10, honour one another above yourselves. People certainly blossom when they are approved, where they are affirmed, where they are appreciated. Treat them, all people, with dignity and with respect. Philippians 2, 3 says that we are to think of others better than ourselves. Think of others better than ourselves. That does not mean... If I am to think of Andrew over here better than I think of myself, I don't have to lie to myself. Oh, Andrew's better than me. Oh, Andrew's better at that. Oh, Andrew's better. Because that's not true, is it? (laughs) what it means is that I am to think of Andrew better than I think of myself I'm to think of him more than I think of me I'm to think of him positively not negatively I am to attribute to him value and assuming the best not the worst I'm to think of himself better than I think of myself does that make sense? Your attitude to others, we are to value and to honour them and to hold them up. We're certainly to be ourselves because we're made in God's image. We're all different. We're to be the person God made us to be and we are therefore to accept others for whom God made them to be in the process of change and transformation, but you get it. Number six, be sympathetic. Have you got your two yet? Become a better listener, accept people unconditionally, help people feel included, honoured, accepted. Be sympathetic. Is this something you need to work on? Perhaps to be a bit more open and vulnerable, to reveal your emotions to the other person, how you're really feeling. Romans 12, 15, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. 
get involved with others emotionally. Be sensitive, tune in to what's going on for them. Um, to feel with, to be sympathetic. Number seven, look for people and become a person, be a person who sticks with others in tough times. True friends are like toothpaste. They come out in a squeeze. And they do. When you get into trouble, when you get into crisis, you'll soon find out who your true friends are. Because they'll be the people who'll be there beside you. They'll be the ones who are supporting you. They'll be the ones journeying with you through it. Proverbs 18.24 There are friends who pretend to be friends, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Proverbs 18.24 So friends are with us there in the good times as well as the struggles, the hard times. Stick with people through tough times. And Proverbs 17.9 reminds us, love covers over an offence but gossip separates the closest of friends. People who talk about people behind their back or tell stories or break confidences. or Those are the people you certainly need to forgive, but they're the people to be careful of when it comes to close friends. And finally, number eight, real friends share Jesus with their friends. Share the reality of Jesus. If Jesus is real to you, I hope and trust that he is, then you'll want to be sharing that with your close friends. You don't want to exclude your spiritual journey from your close friends. And Rick Warren, in this material, if you're watching the videos in your home groups, he will have a thing he calls apology evangelism. If you've never shared the gospel with your friends, then do so this way. And he calls it apology evangelism because you simply say to your friend, I need to apologise to you. Because there's somebody, something very important in my life, I've never shared it. I want to share it now. And then move on from there. Mark chapter 5, verses 18 to 20. In Mark chapter 5, it's the story of the Gadarene demoniac where uh, this guy's been delivered of a legion of demons and then he says he wants to get into the boat with Jesus and go with Jesus and the disciples back across the shore. And Jesus says to him, no, stay here. Go back to your home and tell your family and friends what the Lord has done for you. It's a great verse. And the verse 20 goes on to say that's exactly what he did. He went and told his family and his friends and everybody else what the Lord had done for him. Well, that's what we are to do in our relationships. So has Jesus done anything for you? And if so, then have you told your friends about it? So take a relational inventory. Think very carefully about the people. Somebody said that the person you will be in five years from now will be the, dependent upon the books you've read and the people you are relating to. The people we relate to will influence us. Jesus cared about everybody. But even Jesus, the Son of God, had relational circles. Cared about everybody. But he had a group of 70 whom he sent out on a mission. He had a group of 12 disciples whom he spent every day with, just about. But even within the 12, there were three who were particularly close to him, Peter, James and John. So too it's possible. Love everybody. But you'll know 65 or 70 people. 
Then you might even have a life group, the 12. But then even within the 12, there's going to be three whom you are closer to. Your accountability partners are your close friends. And it's interesting, there was another group of three, I think, who were very close to Jesus. If you read through the Gospels, you'll find that Jesus often, on his circuit, finds his way there. Frank Viola wrote a book called, I think, uh, His Favourite Place on Earth, or some title like that. He's talking about Bethany, and he's talking about Mary, Martha and Lazarus. Three people who appeared to be extremely close to Jesus. Close friends. And like I said, he would find his way on trips, on journeys uh, to get there, to be relationally replenished because he was giving a lot out. Gordon MacDonald, let me finish with this and then I'll pray. As he reflected on those truths and some others, he said, the reality is some people feed us. We like being with them. They just stimulate us. They They input into our life. They're great to hang around with. Some people feed us. He called them VRPs. Very resourceful people. Great people to have as a resource to train you, to input, to encourage you, to lead you. Ask for advice on to share with. VRP. He said, some people feed off you. They're the people who sometimes can be draining, suck the life out of you. um, They're the ones who must always ring you because they're in a crisis. And he called those VDPs. Very draining people. VRPs, inputting into your life. VDPs, sucking life out of you, giving out. And then he said, there are just people in between. They neither feed off you nor feed into you. Or if they do, they do both in a balanced way at different times. They're just VNPs. They're just very nice people or very neutral people. Very nice people. The reality is we need some VRPs in our life. And we need to be aware of VDPs who are draining us because it's not that we sever the relationship, it's rather we're aware and therefore we need to be replenished. Because if you spend all your time giving out, then you will find yourself beginning to flatline, fatigue, the burnout. So think about that. Can you identify the VRPs for you and your close friends? People who are resourceful, give in to you, you like to be with, they like to be with you or VDPs, if there's too many of that, you certainly need to be praying and to be looking for some VRPs. Take a moral relational inventory. What aspects of those things do you need to be working on? Do you need to be more interested in others? Do you need to stop being a chronic complainer? Do you need to work on listening, accepting others? You need to be more intentional about honouring, respecting, valuing others, being sympathetic, sticking with people in tough times, or sharing Jesus with your friends. The Lord wants us to do these things as he transforms us relationally. Let's pray. Lord, it's certainly true that you don't want us to do life alone. You made us to be in community, in relationships and in friendships. We're certainly better together. Thank you for the gift of love and friendship. 
Lord, can you help us to choose our friends carefully, to find friends who will stretch us, who will support us, who will strengthen us in our walk with you. And help us to become to be good friends to others and discerning. Help us to be loving everybody, but to be intentional in the people that we invite to be close to us, to influence us as we desire to be transformed into your image. We ask this, Jesus, in your name, for your sake. Amen.